I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min Football Network. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simiu, back for another live edition of the show. I've been away for a few days. Uh, in case you hadn't noticed, we managed to get a couple of videos out to you guys for our YouTube viewers. But of course, in audio format, it's been a little while since we've done everything. Now, that's because I've oh, done anything, I beg your pardon. And that's because I've been away. Uh, I've been out in Barcelona for the 90 Min Football Summit, um, an incredible experience. I've been working uh, with the company closely for a, a number of years now. And um, and it was amazing to be invited along uh, to sort of understand a little bit about the history of the company, to understand uh, the directions in which they're looking to move forward um, and to meet the 90 min teams from all over the world. It's incredible. You know, I didn't probably understand how big uh, 90 min is. We had a Brazil team there, uh, people from Asia, from France, Italy. Uh, Spain, Germany. It was just incredible. So um, it was a, a really, really nice trip. I got to chill out a little bit as well. That was what was great about it. It wasn't too intense. Um, you got what you needed to get from it, but you also got that little bit of a break as well. Some beach time, uh, some time in the evenings to kind of socialize, chill out a little bit. And more importantly than anything, when you're a father of young kids, as many of you will know, I got to have uninterrupted sleep for the best part of three days. What I did learn, though, from Barcelona, aside from all the great work things, is that I am now officially too old to go clubbing. The final night, we went out, had a nice uh, meal, drinks with everybody, and then a few of us decided to go to a club afterwards, got back at six o'clock in the morning, and I was absolutely finished. I'm still recovering from it now, which tells you that I'm getting on a little bit. And uh, it's probably a reminder for me that I need to know uh, my limits nowadays. Lots and lots of um, welcome messages back in the chat. Hope you're all good. Hope you're all well. And again, apologies for the lack of any uh, live content during the duration of my trip. But I am back now and uh, we're going to look ahead on this edition to the final day of the season. Of course, Arsenal take on Everton at Emirates Stadium. So we'll be looking ahead to that game. We'll be talking about what might happen on the final day. And uh, and of course, we'll be picking up on some of the reports that have broken whilst I've been away. I have been keeping an eye on some things. I have been uh, looking at things. I have been keeping across it. Um, and there's a few pieces that I highlighted that dropped over the last few days that I just want to throw my two pence in uh, on while we uh, have the opportunity to do so going into this show. Okay, look, let's start. I think the best place to start is... Um, is with uh, my hopes for the final day. Now, I know the more that Mikel Arteta speaks about it, the more we speak about it as a fan base, the more, um, you know, people in general talk about it, the more the idea of Tottenham potentially losing seems to kind of get hold of your mind. Um, and, and for me, I'm trying to stop myself going there. Okay, I don't think that Tottenham are going to lose to Norwich. I spoke after the Newcastle game. Uh, after the Newcastle game, I beg your pardon, which was literally hours before I left for Barcelona, I said that had we managed to get a point that night, then I still wouldn't have been confident going into the final game of the season, but I would have had some hope because I would have been, or we would have been in a position where we know that a draw for Tottenham could still be enough to let us in that back door and let us sneak in and take fourth place despite it seemingly being lost. But the fact that Tottenham need to lose makes this near on impossible for me. Now, you never say never in football. And if there's one club in the history of football that are quite capable of pressing that self-destruct um, button, then Tottenham are that club. OK, so it's not impossible. It's not completely beyond the realms of possibility. But what I'm trying to say is do not get sucked in. Do not get carried away. Do not lead yourself into a place where you believe that Norwich are going to beat Tottenham Hotspur this weekend because the chances are that you're going to feel 10 times worse about the fact that we've missed out on the top four than you would going into the game knowing that it's very, very unlikely. You know, the other scenario is that 
Tottenham do slip up. Tottenham do lose at Norwich and we can't take advantage. We can't capitalise on it. And I think the really, really important thing and the really important message that Mikel Arteta needs to be putting across to his players at this point and needs to be drumming home is not um, about Tottenham. It's not about what Tottenham do. It's about what we need to do. Now, Everton obviously have survived now. They're not going to be relegated. And you can look at that one of two ways. Now, we saw a Newcastle United side um, admittedly against a very bad Arsenal side uh, last week, earlier in the week, who, with no pressure and, and have shown with no pressure of late, that they've been able to just go out there and play their game and take the handbrake off, as Arsene used to say. And as a consequence of that, they've played some of their best, most free-flowing, uh, most exciting football of the season. So in that sense, I think sometimes when the pressure's off, actually it works against you you know, from, from an opponent's perspective. Like, you look at Arsenal. We went to St. James's Park. We were under immense pressure. Newcastle were under none. And we went there and we completely and utterly froze. So, although people say Everton have got nothing to play for now and so this should be a walkover, I'm still wary of getting carried away. Or I'm still wary of thinking that the fact that they're now safe from relegation means that this is a foregone conclusion that Arsenal are going to go out and win this game. So I, I'm very reluctant to go down that, that route. I think from an Arsenal perspective, it's out of our hands now. You know, the last couple of results have put us in a position where this uh, Champions League race is now out of our hands. So the only thing that we can do and the only thing that Mikel Arteta can demand and expect is that his players go out there, do their job, take all three points against Everton, finish the season. OK, not on a high if we miss out on the top four, but finish the season with some pride. Finish what I think people will look back on as a decent season once the dust settles a little bit with some pride. And if we can do that, we put ourselves in a position to capitalise on any potential Spurs mistake if the unthinkable was to happen. But you've got to be there to take advantage of it. So there's no point in getting carried away with what's going on at Carrow Road. There's no point in being obsessed with Tottenham or that particular fixture. Let's go out there. Let's win our game. And let's see where we are come 6pm tomorrow evening. So that's my kind of message. You know, obviously there's other things to be decided in the Premier League as well, making this final weekend really, really exciting. In fact, one of the most exciting in years because the champions haven't been crowned yet. Both Manchester City and Liverpool are in action on the final day of the season. The relegation battle has yet to be decided. Um, there's, a, there's a couple of teams in right in the thick of it, Burnley and Leeds, uh, of course, and the top four race is still not done either. So if you're a neutral, you are absolutely loving this, right? Because there's so much to play for on the final day. There's so much to be excited about. Going to get down to the Emirates tomorrow. Going to focus on Arsenal. Let's do our job. Um, let's stay to the end. Let's give the players, um, you know, our appreciation and our support at the end as they make their way around the pitch like they always do on the final game. Because whatever way you look at this and whatever disappointment you're feeling now, today, tomorrow, um, over the next, next couple of months, they have given their absolute all. What we have at our disposal has, um, has been maximised, in my opinion. Um, you know, it, the maximum would have been sneaking into that Champions League position just because of the way things panned out for us and the way, um, you know, things uh, things have gone in recent months. But, you know, ultimately a lack of quality, a lack of depth and, and injury problems that have been uh, really, really damaging, I think are, are going to cost us. But I still don't think that that disappointment should override the progress that we've made. And I do think there is a lot of progress that um, is clear to see, maybe not now, but it will be clear to see in a few weeks' time once the season is behind us, once we start looking ahead to the new one, once the focus shifts totally from uh, where we are today to the transfer market and all of those other things uh, that we can expect in the summer. We are going to be bringing you, of course, shows throughout the summer. We're not stopping. Um, here on the Chronicles of Aguna. We're going to be bringing you press review shows. We're going to be bringing you over the course of the next week, lots of review stuff. We're going to be breaking down Arsenal's season in three different categories. Um, we're going to be looking at the defence. We're going to be looking at the midfield. We're going to be looking at the attack. We're going to be doing the Chronicles of Aguna Awards 
for the season. So player of the year, most improved player of the year, best young player of the year. We're going to be doing all of that. And you guys are going to be able to vote on all of those awards via our Twitter poll. So make sure if you're not already following the Chronicles of Aguna on Twitter that you do so now. It's at Chronicles underscore AFC. Get involved. And um, the link is in the description. Get involved and you can participate in all of that as well. Um, we're also going to be mapping out the transfer window. You know, what do Arsenal need to do? So there's so much content still to come based on wrapping up the season that's about to end, but also looking ahead to the new one. So please do stay with us over the summer. And if you're new to the channel, make sure that you are subscribed. Hit the like button uh, as well on the video. OK, so let's have a look at some of the comments that Mikel Arteta made in his press conference, because I have seen uh, that a lot of people and a lot of those people in particular who have a negative um, opinion of um, of the job that Mikel Arteta has done. Uh, have been quite uh, frustrated, have been quite upset by some of it, have been, um, you know, riled by some of his comments. I don't think that's necessarily fair. Um, and he did kind of start this, this, the press conference with a bit of a speech, didn't he? He said, um, first of all, thank you. And probably this is the last day that I'm going to see you after tomorrow. And then we're going on holiday. So I want to give you guys just a quick reflection. He said, I think it's been a long journey again and a very challenging one this season but I think that we have come a long way as a club and as a team. I think we have transformed the energy, the vibe and expectation of this football club again. We've done it together, showing incredible unity between the staff, the players, everybody in the club, and especially with our people, meaning the fans, which has been incredibly, or who have been incredibly supportive throughout the season, especially in the difficult moments. Uh, he says, and now I can sense that I have the hope and expectations to move this club to the place that it deserves. We've done it the way we predicted with the project that we set a year ago with a lot of young players and with the senior players helping with our crowds again in our stadium and with a real sense of connection around the place. We're back in Europe. We don't know where that will be decided. Hopefully it will be the Champions League. I believe that we're going to do what we have to do and we're going to be cheering on Norwich to do what they can do for sure. And after that, we want to take the club to the next level. So that was kind of Mikel Arteta's summary of the season. Uh, he said, that's the ambition. In order to do that, we have a very clear plan how we want to do it and execute it. And there are no secrets. We need resources and we need to increase the quality and the depth of the squad as long as we maintain in the same way who we are as a club and the people we have next to us. That's going to be the challenge the following season. But hopefully in front of our people, we can live another great day. Um, he said that... and. I guess he's got to say this, right? He's got to do this to kind of keep his players engaged and maybe to a degree keep some of the fans engaged. When he was asked about Arsenal's chances of finishing fourth, he said it's very possible. Um, you know, and he says the closer the game is, I'm more hopeful. He says, I've been back a few years and I've seen a few examples of teams that played in the last game of the season and the things that happened. So Mikel Arteta is not giving up. He's not giving up on this top four chase and nor should he. Right. The manager of the football club needs to be sending out the right messages to his players with regards to our chances and our hopes and our ambitions, however unlikely it may seem to the outside world. Now, I believe that Mikel Arteta says this from a motivational point of view. I believe that Mikel Arteta puts that message out because he feels that that's the best way to get his players um, to be motivated, make sure that nothing creeps into there, that they don't give up the fight, that they don't give up the battle, etc., etc. Um, but my view on it, as I've already expressed to you guys on this show, is that I think it is still um, very, very unlikely. Um, he was asked about fifth place. Would it be progress? Uh, he said it is because we've created expectations that this club deserves and where this club has to be. We have been able to fulfill those expectations. Um, he also goes on to say, looking back where we were, you have to be clear as well with what we have to do, but very clear. This is not where we want to be. That We want to be in a completely different position, challenging really for the top teams. And that's the aim. And that is not going to stop here. That's another step that was very necessary because it wasn't only about where we are in the league table. We have had much deeper issues at the club than the league table, in my opinion. And that I agree with. You know, and, and this is the bit that people, I think, um, 
overlook when assessing the job that Mikel Arteta and Arsenal have done this season and you look at the progress that has been made it's very easy to look at the league table and go you know it's not enough but even if you look at the table to jump three positions is some progress is it not so look at it from a really basic level right so so to jump from eighth to fifth if we finish fifth is clearly progress in a um in a results sort of aspect in a results way of looking at it but i think the key point here that Mikel arteta makes and one that for some reason it's just so often overlooked by arsenal fans this season has been the deeper problems at the football club he says now those problems have been resolved now we look very very strong and we have real strong foundations to build on what we want to do now i'm not going to go through the entire press conference because i'm sure a lot of you have seen it um he kind of denied um, well, he didn't deny, but he didn't want to give anything on the uh, links with um, with Marquinhos of Sao Paulo, who, by the way, um, I met the uh, 90 min Brazil team uh, during my trip to Barcelona. And we had a lot of conversations uh, about Marquinhos. A few of them cover Sao Paulo really, really closely. And we had some really good conversations about Marquinhos. And I'm going to share with you if that deal seems as it's progressing that information. But I'm what? I'm also hoping to get one of them on uh, to the podcast to tell us a little bit more about the player. So uh, that's already been put in place for if and when uh, we see that deal moving forward. Um, he was asked about Granite Xhaka's comments. It was as if they were trying to lure him into saying something negative about what Granite Xhaka had to say um, after the defeat at Newcastle. And actually, as I've said to you guys before, I don't think Granite Xhaka said a thing wrong. I agreed with pretty much every single word. I find this agenda towards Granit Xhaka from not just Arsenal fans, but from the press as well, really weird and really unfair. I mean, for those of you that watched the game that night on Sky Sports in the UK, you'd have seen Granit Xhaka ask the question, you know, are you saying something along the lines, and I'm paraphrasing, but it was basically are you suggesting that the young players are the reason that you didn't get over the line or that the young players um, are the reason that that the mentality isn't necessarily there or that you crumbled under pressure was kind of the question that he was asked. And he said, no, it doesn't matter if you're 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60. He said, if you're ready, you're ready. Um, so he made a point of dismissing the idea of him having a go at people's ages. He, he made the he made it clear that it was not the young players uh, that he was pointing the finger at, that he was talking generically about the entire team. He didn't dig out any individuals and he certainly didn't hint at any individuals. That was what they were trying to extract from him. That was what the person asking the questions wanted to get out of Granit Xhaka because those people's jobs, fair play to them, is to generate the biggest possible headline, is to try and extract the information, that line in particular, that is going to send everybody into meltdown and create lots of coverage and lots of discussion. He didn't do any of that. And then they flicked back to the studio and um, and Gary Neville starts. You know, Gary Neville, as he does, gets on his soapbox again and wants to be the voice of the people and starts having a go at Granit Xhaka. You know, I didn't like that, blah, blah, blah. Um, and... And says, if he's having a dig at those, those young players, blah, blah, blah. And Dave Jones, the presenter, goes, but he said he's not. But he said it was nothing to do with age. And he said it like two or three times. And Gary Neville's still going on. And that is a classic example of how, not just with Granit Xhaka, but when it comes to Arsenal and when it comes to anything we do, people are just desperate, desperate to put the boot in, desperate to make the crisis bigger than it seems, desperate to make a big, huge deal out of what would, with any other club, be a non-story. That was anybody else. Anybody else. If that was Alexander Lacazette that came out and said that, if that was Thomas Partey that came and said that, if that was Kieran Tierney that said that, everybody would be talking about how much of a leader they are, how they've really sort of made it clear that they're not happy with the standards failing to be adhered to, that they're not happy with the fact that Arsenal are where they are, that they're not happy with the commitment levels and the effort levels and all of what was on display in that miserable defeat against Newcastle. But because it's Granit Xhaka and because everybody knows that perhaps more than others, our fan base has a lot of 
um, people who are willing and ready and quite knee-jerk in their reactions very quickly, they know that that works. They know that that sells. Oh, let, let's have a look at Arsenal fans again, having a meltdown about an issue that wouldn't be an issue at any other football club. It drives me absolutely bonkers. It drives me absolutely crazy. And I'm glad uh, that Mikel Arteta didn't fall into that trap. And he's, I think he's got much better, uh, Mikel Arteta, at, um, at keeping his distance in press conferences. Now, I know from a fan perspective, that can be a little bit frustrating. And you can feel like he's just doing you a lip service week in, week out. But I think that's how you protect your players. I mean, you never got Arsene Wenger come out and, and be critical of his players. And that's why for large periods and, and, you know, he had some of the greatest players in the world on his side and willing to work with him and willing to stick with him. So I think that's the, the right way to manage. I'm not a big believer in throwing people under the bus. I think you can be critical. I think you can be firm and I think you can be strict, but there's an environment in which you should do that. And it's not in the public domain. Um, so, yeah, um, I'm glad that he didn't fall into that trap. But let's move on a little bit then to the game itself. Um, let's let's have a, a little look at the uh, history of this fixture, as we always do um, when discussing uh, an upcoming game. Remember, this is the last preview uh, show of the season because it's Arsenal's last Premier League game of the season. I've, I've been saying for weeks, right, that I can't wait for the season to be over. Like, I'm so burnt out. Like, this season, uh, and touch wood, it's a good thing. I've worked more than I've ever worked in my entire life. I've been busier than I've ever been in my entire life. And I do feel at this point that there's a little bit of burnout. And although the football never stops in terms of the transfer window will be open and we'll be talking about that and we'll be discussing that and we'll be looking back on last season and looking ahead to the new one, the fact that that, that extra layer, so the, the match coverage layer gets stripped back for a couple of months, gives you the opportunity if you work in this industry to not take a break because I'm not going to take a complete break. Um, but it does give me the opportunity to just not be as intense. And that is very, very much needed over the summer months. So, um, yeah, uh, but I'm in this position where I'm like, I'm looking forward to the break. I'm looking forward to it chilling down a little bit. Um, but at the same time, when it happens, I'm going to miss the football. I mean, like, what am I going to do at the weekends? I'm going to have to, like, cut the grass and, like, paint the fences and and do all this stuff that I've been putting off all season with the excuse of I'm too busy, I'm working. So, yeah, swings and roundabouts, I guess. But anyway, look, um, let's look back at this fixture then. Let's look back at the history of the fixture. Um, and as always, we're going to head over to the Premier League's official website uh, for the official stats and facts around this one. The two sides have met 59 times in Premier League history. Arsenal beating Everton on 34 uh, of those occasions, Everton have won 11 and there's been 14 draws between the two sides. If you look at the recent meetings, um, one that stands out to me in particular is, um, it, well, there's a couple there, isn't there, really? Um, we haven't really fared all that well against Everton, um, who have beaten us on the last three occasions. They beat us 2-1. Um, at Goodison Park back in December. That, along with Newcastle, was our worst performance of the season for me. Um, we uh, we lost on the 23rd of April uh, at Emirates Stadium to Everton by a goal to nil. That was uh, 2021, of course. Prior to that, we lost at Goodison Park by two goals to one. Um, prior to that, we beat them at the Emirates Stadium 3-2. And prior to that, December 2019, there was a nil-nil draw between the two sides. And that would have been uh, when Mikel Arteta took over, I think. I think he was announced either the day before that or the day after that. My memory doesn't serve me very, very well. But look, long story short, Everton have beaten us the last three times we've met in the Premier League. And that is not a good omen, is it? Although overall Arsenal have been dominant in the Premier League fixtures between the two sides, that doesn't bode well to me. So this is not going to be a foregone conclusion. And as I say, although people will argue that Everton will be weaker for the fact that they now have nothing to play for, I'm not always sure that that is 100% a positive. I do believe that it does just take the shackles off a little bit. When you look at recent form, well, we've won three of our last five. But of course, those last two defeats away at Spurs and away at Newcastle have been incredibly damaging. For Everton, they've been on a much more positive run. 1-0 win 
over Chelsea. Uh, 2-1 win at Leicester. They drew with uh, Watford 0-0. Lost at home to Brentford, which looked to be a really damaging result, but put it right, coming from two goals down to beat Crystal Palace uh, the other night. And I'm going to come on to talk about that Patrick Vieira situation in a little bit, because that was one of the things that caught my eye while I was away and that I do just want to... Uh, chip in on. If you look at the season so far, obviously very contrasting seasons. Arsenal in fifth place, Everton currently languishing down in 16th. We've won 21 games in comparison to their 11. They've drawn six, we've drawn three. They've lost 20, we've lost 13. Average goal score per match, Arsenal uh, dominant in that sense as well, 1.51 in comparison to their 1.4. Average goals conceded per match, again, Everton 1.65, something that you'd expect from a team down at the bottom of the table, whilst Arsenal uh, are on 1.27. Clean sheets, we've managed 13. They've managed eight. According to the Premier League stats, we create slightly more clear-cut opportunities per game than they do, but there's not an awful lot in that. So those are some of the stats. Those are some of the facts. Now, let me share with you guys the team that I would pick. Now, looking at Tommy Asu's injury the other day that he picked up at Newcastle, I don't expect him to start the game. Now, I, I've i been looking and obviously I was away, but I don't recall seeing any update really on Tommy Asu. Correct me if I'm wrong, um, but looking at the nature of his injury, the injury that he picked up, I, I'd be very surprised if he's in the starting lineup this weekend. So on that basis, my team is, is quite simple. Ramsdale in goal, Cedric at white, uh, right back, White and Gabriel at centre-back, Tavares at left-back. Xhaka and Elneny um, will play in the midfield for me with Odegaard uh, also in the side. Martinelli comes in on the left, Saka on the right, and Enketia through the middle in what looks like it's going to be his final game for the football club. So, yeah, uh, that's my team. That's the lineup I would pick. Um, just let me run that through that one more time for those of you listening on audio. Ramsdale in goal, Cedric, White, Gabriel and Tavares, Xhaka, Elneny, Odegaard, Saka, Martinelli and Enketia. As I keep saying, you know, and I know there'll be a few people out there. I've heard a few people um, out there saying, uh, you know, well, why not give Lakonga an opportunity? Why not give this player an opportunity? Why not give that player an opportunity in a Premier League game? Because as I keep saying, Fifth is fifth, right? I mean, if we get it, you know, well, we are going to get fifth. Great. You know, we've we've progressed. We're back in Europe. It's the first step. Fourth, while I think it is unlikely, is, is still there. It's still there. It's still a possibility. And on that basis, you have to make sure that you are ready and in a position to capitalise on if the unthinkable was to happen at Cowra Road. And I don't want to see any um, lack of motivation. I don't want to see any lack of enthusiasm. I don't want to see any complacency. I just want to see Arsenal go out there, put Everton to the sword um, and finish our season with a good, strong, positive performance and result. And as I say, put ourselves in the position that if indeed, um, if indeed, Norwich could beat Tottenham, which I don't expect. But if they did, that we'd be there and that we're not going to be in a position because that would be more painful than anything if Norwich did do the job and then we failed to do our job. That would really, really hurt. So, um, yeah, that's where I'm at on that. Um, look, let's get some of your questions in. Let's get some of your thoughts in. There's a couple of pieces I just want to touch on while you're doing that. So please do fill up the chat box with your questions. Also want to bring you guys' attention to the latest competition over with our partners at Football Prizes. So do check it out. This uh, latest prize is an Arsene Wenger signed and framed Arsenal shirt, plus the opportunity to win eight instant win prizes. And they include a Tony Adams signed and framed Arsenal shirt, an Arsenal's invincible badge set, uh, some football prizes vouchers and some football prizes site credit. Now, if you want to get involved, tickets for this one are just £2.95. The competition ends on Monday night at 7.30pm. But if the tickets sell out before then, then it's gone. It's done. Now, this competition, um, which runs, as I say, until the 23rd of May at 7.30pm UK time, that's Monday night, um, has 199 tickets available and 105 of them have already been sold. So if you're interested in this, make sure you get in there quickly. OK, get your questions in, get your thoughts in to the live chat. 
Um, and a big hello to Sam, who says, I hope Spain done you good, H. Managed to get a ticket. Worried how we turn out if we're mentally done from the last two. But we need to end with pride and a good three to four nil win. Spain was brilliant. Thank you, mate. Um, great in all aspects. It was great for me. It was great to meet people from a work perspective and, and sort of build that network of contacts and meet some people that I've been communicating with but haven't met face to face. It was really, really nice to do that. Um, but also, um, it was great to have a little bit of a break as well and a little bit of change in routine, some sunshine, some sand in between my toes, the beach, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, uh, thank you very much, mate. Look, get your questions in. I'll come back to those in a second. I just want to touch on a couple uh, stories before I disappear uh, off to enjoy the remainder of my Saturday. Um, there's been some stories and some reports going around with regards uh, to Bukayo Saka and um, and his future. Now, we know that Arsenal are looking to tie him down into another long-term contract. They're looking to uh, protect themselves against the possibility of his departure. Um, and, uh, and one of the reports that's doing the rounds in the Daily Mail is where I saw it, is that Saka and his team are putting Arsenal under some pressure to ensure that there is some sort of exit strategy for the player in the event that Arsenal don't get back into the Champions League and in the event that Arsenal struggle to re-establish themselves as a Champions League club in the upcoming seasons. Now, I don't, if it is true, and again, I don't know that it is, I don't blame the player for wanting to think about his career. Um, I don't blame the player for, for wanting to play in Europe's premier competition. And unfortunately, no matter how big a club you are in terms of fan base and stature and size and history, if you're not competing at the top table, you're always going to have a problem with players like Bukayo Saka, who are clearly developing, clearly improving, clearly moving in the right direction. So I'm not surprised to read this. I'm not surprised to hear this, um, but I don't know it to be true. Um, and it's the kind of speculation that, as I say, comes as a natural side effect of the fact that we're not um, in the Champions League as things stand. And we probably won't be by the end of tomorrow. Um, but I mean, I'm not too stressed about this at this point. i got to be honest. I think Bukayo Saka, for me, first and foremost now, needs to be thinking about how he's going to rest and how he's going to recover and how he's going to get himself back to his peak. Because I think in the last few weeks, we've seen a tired, a broken um, and a slightly underperforming Bukayo Saka, and that's through no fault of his own. He's been so heavily relied upon. I've said it at various points this season that we have an over-reliance on these young players, and that is going to be a problem for us as a football team and for us as a club in terms of sometimes we're not going to get the outputs that we need, but also on those players because they shouldn't be as relied upon at this stage in their careers as they are. It takes a very special player to take that weight of a big club's shoulders on them at this age and deliver. And he's done it for the most part, but he's clearly tired. He's clearly fatigued and he clearly needs a rest. So that would be the first priority, I think, for Bukayo Saka is focusing on the summer, focusing on recovering in the, the best and most effective way possible. I don't think there's a, a, a massive um, panic around this contract thing at the moment. Um, and it goes back to what I was saying a little bit earlier on about the fact that, you know, people like, don't they, to make a, a drama out of Arsenal Football Club because you just only need to look at how well those stories do in terms of views and reads and clicks and etc. And you can understand why, why it's done. I just wanted to quickly touch a little bit on the Patrick Vieira incident as well. I don't really want to go into transfers today. We will do that loads over the next few weeks and days. Uh, so don't worry about that. Um, but the Patrick Vieira stuff, I, I saw a headline yesterday. So I was obviously away and, um, you know, we, we, we caught some of the game and we saw obviously what happened. We saw the, the clips of it going around on social media. I saw some of the reaction on social media, but there was one particular headline which was on talk TV. And I'm not surprised that uh, an outlet like that have gone for the, you know, the dramatic, have gone for the exaggerated, have gone for the OTT uh, response to an incident like that. But what they said was, and, and what the headline read was, Patrick Vieira attacks rival fan. There's no context to that whatsoever. So first and foremost, okay, who in their right mind would go up to Patrick Vieira of all people and want to get involved in something. Number one. Number two, 
the first people that need to be looked at here and the first people that need to be blamed are Everton Football Club. Now, I'm not I don't want to be really hard on Everton specifically because this has happened at a number of grounds um, over the last few weeks. It seems to be a bit of a craze, a bit of a phenomenon. You know, we had a few weeks ago, we had people cable tying themselves to goalposts. We've had people running on the pitch quite a bit this season, but I'm talking individuals, ones and twos. But over the last few weeks, there's been a massive, massive um, uprising in the level of pitch invasions. Now, listen, I'm all for a lower league club running onto the pitch, celebrating, you know, the fact that they um, they have just got promoted into the football league and, you know, and running on to celebrate. And, and it's all good when it's your fans that are running on most of the time. There will be idiots and, and there will be exceptions to that. But most of the time, when it's your fans running on in celebration or something, you probably as a footballer quite enjoy that buzz and quite love uh, that that whole feeling. You know, let's say, for example, you're a conference club and you get promoted to the Football League. That must be incredible. That must be incredible. And it must be a moment that you're desperate to share with your fans. First of all, when it comes to Everton, I don't understand why their fans feel that surviving after spending the amount of money that they have and being the disgrace that they have for large periods of this season warrants and justifies a pitch invasion. You haven't just won the Champions League. You've just survived in a league. You've just survived in a competition that you should be pushing eighth, ninth for, you know, seventh. That's the size of that football club. That's, what that football club should be expected to be achieving, given what they've spent, the resource that they've had. I, I just can't understand why Everton fans um, felt that that was worthy of a pitch invasion. Um, I don't get it. So I think that Everton need to look at themselves. I think those fans need to look at themselves. I think that the problem around allowing this to happen is clearly one that there isn't any enough police presence and there isn't enough stewards to handle it. And also as well, I always say this as well, because a lot of the time I think stewards get the finger pointed at them. If you get paid minimum wage and, you know, this is no disrespect to those people, you know, it, a lot of them, a lot of the stewards at Everton Football Club will be doing it um, as a side thing. We'll be doing it as an additional job to try and top up. And listen, you've got to do what you've got to do to support your family. This is coming from someone who works a ton of jobs and does a load of different things and has always done a load of different things um, to make sure that I can achieve what I need to achieve. So I'm not not knocking that in the slightest. But at the same time, would you put yourself in harm's way, i.e., would you try and stop a charge of people running onto the football pitch for a side job, minimum wage? Would you risk the dangers that are posed to you and then the knock-on effect that can have on your family to, um, you know, to stop something like that? Or should people who are far better compensated for taking that risk be the ones to do that, i.e. the police? So I, I see it at football all the time. I see stewards getting so much shit from fans that have had a couple of drinks, have crossed the line. You know, I see this with my own eyes week in, week out. And I do think to myself sometimes, okay, I, although it's your job, technically to to get involved and to stop this and to make something of it and and to make sure that you know it's cut out at the same time do you want some idiot to come and punch you in the face um you know do you want to put yourself in that position and because there is no huge incentive not in pay not in respect not in anything then stewards are always going to have a line and a point at which they kind of just will be helpless and will feel helpless. And if they don't feel helpless, will feel that it's not risk. Uh, it's not worth the risk of putting themselves in that situation. And I totally, totally get that. So the clubs have to do more. The clubs have to do more to prevent this happening. And okay, it wasn't great what happened, but, you know, it should be... When something bad happens, you can't go back and change it. You can't go back and rewind the clock and, and put it right. But what you can do is you can take learns from it. And I think now the Premier League really do have to uh, take a hard stance on this, whether that be punishing football clubs and deterring fans that way, whether it be the, the law maybe being slightly changed to a point where it becomes 
you know, a, a, it is a criminal offence anyway to enter the field of play, but where it becomes something that is punishable with a, a greater consequence, does that put people off? I don't know. I don't know what the solution is. I'm not, uh, you know, professing to have that, but I do think that there needs to be something taken away from this, and that is to stop this happening. Because as I say, when it's your own fans coming on the pitch, what's the worst that's going to happen? They're going to give you a hug. They're going to close in on you. They're going to want to get a picture with you. They're going to want to give you a high five. They might get in your personal space a little bit, but ultimately their intention is to enjoy and to celebrate in most instances with you. But when you're the away side or when you're the uh, opponent and you're trying to get down the tunnel, it must be quite intimidating. And Patrick Vieira is clearly not someone who gets intimidated very, very easily. And I'm not suggesting even in this instance that Patrick Vieira was intimidated. If he was, he'd have got his head down and he'd have drugged off the pitch. Instead, he retaliated because he was riled, because he was angered. And he's only human. And and it, it goes back to what I always say on this channel about those keyboard warriors and the people that like to abuse people in football and people that like to um, you know, give it, but the minute you give it back to them, shy away and and call outrage and and cry and and you know it, it drives me crazy. You go up to Patrick Vieira's face, you abuse him in his face. You deserve, um, you deserve to be retaliated upon. And you know what? Sometimes in life, I don't condone violence, but sometimes in life, people need to be put back in their place. And Patrick Vieira, even though. I can't say that kicking someone is right. Patrick Vieira put that geezer in his place. Patrick Vieira made the point that you're not going to get, you don't scare me. You're not going to win. You're not going to come on the pitch and get in my face and get what you want. Patrick Vieira put him back in his place. And, you know, there, there are various different ways to do that, of course. And, and again, not condoning violence for a second, but, um, you know, I do not for a second either want to blame Patrick Vieira or want to um, or want to be critical of Patrick Vieira, because if it were me, I'd have probably done exactly the same thing. It's not like Patrick Vieira went over and booted him out of nothing. He reacted to some abuse that he received. And and yeah, fair play to Patrick Vieira. And I really, really do hope that there's some common sense applied here. I feel like there'll have to be some kind of punishment just because they'll be scared of setting a precedent and they'll be scared of the criticism and the backlash and the PR that comes off the back of that. But I do think that Patrick Vieira acted in the way that most humans would have acted and um, and uh, and put that Everton fan back in his place. So please do not um, give Patrick a hard time. Please do not, you know, Please do not sort of go OTT, the Premier League, and actually focus on the issue in hand, which is that if those fans weren't on the football pitch in the first place, Patrick Vieira wouldn't be kicking and wouldn't be involved in any altercations with anybody. And that's that. OK, right. Let's um, let's move on. Let's take some of your questions then for the remainder of the show. In fact, I'm going to give you my Everton prediction before I forget to do that. I'm going to go with a 3-0 Arsenal win. I'm feeling confident that we're going to go there and we're going to start fast and we're going to get a couple of goals and we're going to put ourselves in a really, really strong position um, finishing the season on a high. So I'm going with an Arsenal 3-0 win over Everton. OK, let's take some of these questions. Sergei says, if we end up with Europa League, do you think it will give more playing time to fringe players to develop and become better players, e.g. Martinelli? Yeah, um, I said that this was one of my issues with us not being in the Europa League this season. I said that quite a few times throughout the campaign. I know people want to be in the Champions League and I want to be in the Champions League, but what you can get out of the two competitions is, is quite different in the sense of, I think when you're a, a, a powerful Premier League club, you can quite often get through the group stage making multiple changes um, in your team and giving players, like you mentioned, that opportunity to play full 90 minutes. And, and one of the periods, one of the problems I believe that we had this season was that we were asking people to come in and out of the cold because they weren't first teamers. They weren't um, they weren't playing because we weren't in Europe. And so when we were then calling upon them, you were calling upon them having sat on the bench for seven, eight, nine, ten games without having any action. And that can sometimes catch you cold. I think people like Martinelli do need that development, do need that game time. And also it's not just about that. It's the confidence that you can build. 
and the confidence that, for example, Nicolas Pepe is a great example of this, right? He's someone who in the Europa League can score a bag full of goals and assists. And when he does that, and then he's called upon in the Premier League, you feel like he's in a much better headspace and, and sort of confidence um, mood, if you like, where he can then help the team more. And I do think we we suffered from not having it last season. Now, there were pros to that as well. The fact that we played less games, the fact that we could be consistent in our lineup, et cetera, et cetera. But I think in order to have a competitive squad, everybody needs to be involved. Everybody needs to be playing games. Now, the Champions League, and I'm not for a second saying I prefer to be in the Europa League than the Champions League. Of course, I want to be in the top competition. But the Champions League doesn't give you that opportunity because the standard is higher and therefore you have to play your best team to get through the group stage, you know, at least for the first four or five games, if you can get the results that you need. So you, you don't really have that time to tinkle uh, with things, uh, tinker with things, tinkle. Uh, you don't really have that, <laughs> that time to tinker with things or that ability or that freedom to do it the way you would in the Europa League. Um, so, yeah, I do think it will benefit those players. Uh, Asirul says, Harry, I heard uh, that the Gabriel Jesus deal has collapsed. Is it true? Not to my knowledge. Um, I don't know that that is the case, uh, so I wouldn't want to mislead you one way or the other, um, but I've not seen that um, from any source that I would I would think is credible. Uh, Sam Tonk says, with Laka and Eddie Defo gone, maybe most surely we get a good budget for the summer, regardless if we're fifth or fourth. Hickey first, but expect our signings to be young gems. I think that the, the transfer plan for the summer has already been mapped out, obviously. Um, and I think that the Champions League might have given us a bit of a boost in terms of status, in terms of being that attractive proposition. But I actually think from a financial perspective, the club have, have probably already committed what they're going to commit. And I think that um, fourth or fifth isn't going to make an awful lot of difference in that, in my opinion. Um, it would have made some difference, obviously. And then maybe if you find yourselves locked in some negotiations down the line that you're just not making a breakthrough in, you, the fact that you have Champions League football and the revenue that comes from that may make you more open to, to pushing that boundary or, or slightly crossing it in order to get that deal done with regards to what you think you can or should pay. But I think, generally speaking, I think the budget is going to be pretty similar. I think the ambition that we're going to see in the window um, is going to be... Um, is going to be pretty similar regardless of of what what competition we end up being in. That's my opinion anyway. Sko says, Harry, do you honestly think the poor performance was down to a lack of commitment in such a big game at the end of the season? Um, seems much more likely that we're freezing due to pressure, which is expected with youth. Yeah, I, I do think that. I, I think that it's a bit of both. I think on the day, um, there wasn't that, there wasn't enough commitment to weather difficult periods, but also the pressure was a massive factor. And I said that in my post-match show, and I mentioned it earlier on in this show, you know, we froze under the circumstances and you can't do that at this level when you want to achieve things. Uh, Wondering Minstrel says, how many signings do you think we need, Harry? How many do you think we'll get? I think we need at least four or five. Um, I'd be quite happy to get three or four if they are of a higher quality, and if that means that we can bring in less, then fine. I'm okay with that. How many do I think we'll get? I think we'll probably bring four players in this summer, if I had to guess um, at this stage. But I do think we could do with four or five. I think I'll just quickly run off the top of my head. Positions that I think we need to sort. I think we're going to need to probably bring in another goalkeeper. If Ben Leno is going to leave, I think we're going to need another fullback. I think we're going to need at least one fullback. And that's why Aaron Hickey feels like a good choice because he can play right and left. So I think we're going to need a fullback. I think we're going to need another centre-back. Whether that will be William Saliba coming in, I don't know. I think we need another centre midfielder and I think we need a striker at minimum. So that's at least four players that I think Arsenal have to bring in this summer. Um, Pavel Andreev says, uh, would you get Joe Gomez and get rid of Cedric and Holding? He could cover both left-back and centre-back. I mean, you mean right-back and centre-back? Yeah, I mean... That's not the worst idea in the world, but would we be able to get him away from Liverpool? Would they let him go? I don't know. Um, but I, I see the logic that you're applying there in terms of bringing in a player that can cover a couple of different um, positions. Lots of support and lots of love for Patrick Vieira in the chat box as well, uh, off the back of um, what we were discussing a little bit earlier. Um, yeah, good to see that the Arsenal 
fan base is uh, behind him. And, and Steve Stone highlights another incident that I should have mentioned as well. You know, Billy Sharp attacked earlier this week by a fan on the pitch. I saw another one as well. I can't remember what the game was, um, where I saw a striker. Um, he, had, he said that he posted something like, you got two free shots and you only scratched me or something. So it's clearly a, a thing at the moment. Not good enough, is it? Uh, what else have we got? Um, Sko says that we have Matt Turner coming in to allow Leno to leave without needing to buy another. Again, um, yeah, we do. Uh, is Matt Turner good enough, though? Is Matt Turner good enough? I, I really don't know. And and I'll be honest, I, I completely forgot about the Matt Turner signing just there where I was speaking. I've, he's a signing that um, never really excited me, to be honest. I, I mean, I hope he can be good. And um, and as I said, again, out on the 90 Min Summit, I did meet um, the brilliant Lizzie Becherano, who covers um, American MLS uh, football for us at 90 Min. And um, we were talking about Matt Turner. And uh, we'll get Lizzie on at some point um, over the summer to give us the download on him as well. So that should be cool. OK, um, what else have we got? Steve says, if the unthinkable was to happen and both games go our way, should I pull a sickie from work on Monday? You absolutely should. Uh, so Joe go so slow says. Just four. are you for real in my response to how many players I think we're going to bring? Um that's what I think is realistic, mate. I, I, I think gone are the days where, when, when you're talking about players coming in for like top players costing 40 to 60 to 70 million pounds, it's not realistic to expect six, seven or eight to come in. Like we went big last summer um, numbers wise. And I, I don't see us doing that again. If I'm to believe what we're being told, if I'm to believe the plan, the process, which is to supposedly now look at bringing in players that can, um, that can enhance us and are ready-made, then I think it's going to cost us more money that way. And therefore, I don't see it being more than four or five. I've got to be honest, people won't like that. But I was asked my my opinion, and, and that is my opinion. Alex Jones says, Harry, your beard, why don't you promise to make a deal that you won't cut it until we get into the CL? Mate, I'm just... I haven't cut it off. I've, I've, I've had to trim it a couple of times just because I've... Do you know what? I left it for a long period of time, and then I had to do some TV stuff. And then I looked at it on the TV and I'm like, Jesus Christ, I need to tidy this up. So yeah, it's got to be tidied up, but maybe we'll do something else. Like, I don't know, something a bit out there. If we do make it, um, you can let me know suggestions in the comments. What would you like me to do? Um, if Arsenal did make the top four, ain't going to happen, but yeah, you never know. Stranger things have happened. I guess I'm just trying not to get carried away with it. All. But anyway, look, I'm going to leave it there. Uh, we've been going for the best part of an hour. Um, thank you all so, so much. Thank you for bearing with me the last few days while there hasn't been as much content while I was away. But I am back now. We're going to be going right through the summer. We're going to be bringing you um, all sorts of stuff. We're going to be bringing you review stuff. We're going to be breaking the team down individually from uh, defence, midfield attack, what went wrong, what went bad. Uh, we're also going to be doing um, transfer bits, and we're going to be looking ahead to the new season, mapping out how we'd like the window to go. Lots and lots of stuff. So much to come over the summer. So stay with us for your football fix, for your Arsenal fix. Uh, don't forget to leave a like on the video if you haven't done so already. In fact, let's check where we are. We've only got 56 likes on the board. Let's try and get up to 100 ASAP. Make sure you're subscribed. Uh, and if you're listening via the audio, make sure you leave us a review. I'll catch you all very, very soon. In fact, tomorrow with more. Until next time. Goodbye. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry